Well, good evening, everyone. Good to see you all tonight. Thank you for joining us for our Bible study tonight and our time of prayer. Uh, Let's go before the Lord and ask him to bless our time of study and prayer tonight. Let's pray together. Merciful Father, we thank you and praise you for how gracious and merciful you are to us. Lord, when we stop and consider uh, what we deserve, it is uh, amazing beyond description that you would take notice of us and that you would show us mercy and love and grace. Father, we're thankful that we have the privilege of coming together tonight and just fellowshipping as your people, of uh, studying truths from your word together. And Lord, also just uh, joining uh, our hearts and our minds together in prayer as we lift up concerns that are important to us. Father, thank you for being such a loving God. And Lord, during this time, we pray that your name would be exalted and glorified. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, tonight we are starting a new study of uh, Created to Draw Near by Edward Welch. And uh, this, the way that this book is structured is a little bit different than a lot of the studies that we've done in the past. Uh, this book is kind of set up like a devotional. It has uh, several short chapters that you can walk through and they don't take very long to read through each one. And so what I might do, I haven't fully decided how I might do it every week, but what I might do is try to combine maybe one or two uh, each week uh, because I think there's about 38 chapters. And so we don't want to be doing it for 38 weeks. Uh, But so I might join together two or three, depending on how the themes fit together. But what I wanted to do tonight is I wanted to just kind of introduce the study and then look at the first chapter uh, with you tonight. And so... Uh, In the introduction to the study, he talks about just our longing for closeness, how as human beings, uh, we have a a bent or an inclination toward intimacy, toward relationship, toward um, relating to one another as people. And if you think about it, human beings are really quite unique in this respect in the created world. You have some animal species that are more social than others and kind of move in in packs and stay together as groups, but they don't share a kind of uh, intellectual, emotional uh, connection that we as sentient human beings share. Uh, We are rational, we're emotional, we're spiritual creatures. And so we can connect with other human beings at a level that nothing else in creation can. And I think that is on purpose because that's a part of the image of God in us. A part of the image of God in us is that we would be like God in certain respects on a finite level. And so that relational ability to be able to communicate and share uh, on an intellectual and emotional level that comes to us from God, our creator. And so uh, we are relational creatures with an inclination to connect with others. And he, he mentions in the introduction that yes, human relationships are fraught with problems, aren't they? Uh, human relationships, we can end up uh, with all sorts of troubles. And sometimes those relationships are hard. 
but we always still go back to them because we need that human to human connection. And so we have human to human relationships that are just a part of who we are, how we're wired by God, but also God from the beginning designed for us to be relational creatures, not only to relate to one another, but to relate to him, that we might be in fellowship with God. And so he made us to have relationship with him. And he says toward the beginning, he says, all this carries the stamp of our spiritual lineage. We are priests. God's intent for humanity has been that we would live in his house and receive his divine hospitality. That is the mission of the priests. Priests are near God. When we think of priests in the Old Testament, uh, we think of go-betweens, right? Uh, Intermediaries between God and man. But the priests in the Old Testament are in that unique privileged opportunity to be near to God. The high priest once a year would go into the very presence of God in the most holy place. And the priest daily would go into the holy place and change out uh, the, or take care of the lights on the lampstand. And weekly they would change out the bread on the table of the bread of presence. And so they had these daily responsibilities near God. And one of the points that he wants to make throughout this whole book is that we, all of us as God's people, are intended to be priests. We're all intended to be from the beginning close to God, near God in relationship with him. And so we are to be in this close, near relationship with God. He says, in his royal residence, which he declares is also our own, we are known, unashamed, at peace with each other, dressed in garments he himself tailored, ushered into a feast and joined to him in communion that leaves us searching for words to describe. That's the ideal for which God made us, to be in this kind of relationship with God in his presence. And then at the very end of the introduction, he just reminds us that as we think about the concept of priesthood, of what it means to be a priest, we need to let scripture guide us in that and let let the scriptures mold and shape our understanding of what it means to be a priest before God because we can carry into it all kinds of baggage of what we might think of when we hear that term priest. Uh, For some from a more Roman Catholic background, you know, they think of a person with a white collar that sits in the booth when they do confession. Uh, that's, that's not a biblical picture of what he's going to describe for us. Uh, when we read the Old Testament, uh, Leviticus, Exodus, and we, and we think about priests, it's hard for us sometimes to connect to that because it's so long ago. It's 3,000, 3,500 years ago. And so sometimes we can bring to this conception of priesthood uh, wrong ideas. And so he wants us to just let scripture shape our understanding, to teach us and our our minds be shaped by scripture rather than other ideas of what priesthood is. He begins the book by thinking about 
how this concept of priesthood starts at the very beginning of Scripture in our past and then moves forward through the storyline of Scripture and then into our present reality, our experience today as God's people. And, and so he begins with the past and he starts with the very beginning in Eden. And so chapter one is in the garden of God, talking about uh, the garden of Eden. And he starts out by reminding us of the Old Testament concept of the tabernacle and the temple. And essentially those places, whether it be the portable tent tabernacle described in Exodus that they would carry throughout the wilderness, or even later on in the time of Solomon and after a stable building in Jerusalem called the temple, both the tabernacle and the temple, their essential purpose was to be God's dwelling place, that it was God's house. And the people of God, their lives would be oriented around that central meeting place where God would meet with his people. And so in the wilderness travels, in Exodus through Deuteronomy, you have the the camps, the tents of Israel surrounding the tabernacle. The tabernacle's at the center of their life. It's It's a symbol of the central place of God's presence among them. Then you have later on with the the more fixed temple, you have it in the capital city in Jerusalem where the king was and the center of all of life was for the people of Israel. It was the the magnet, the place where all the people would come and their lives were oriented around uh, this God's house on earth. But what he's doing in this first chapter is he's taking us back even before Exodus and showing us the tabernacle before the tabernacle. And so I don't know if you can see that up there. It's, um, I tried to make it as big as I could. This is from the book. Uh, It might be easier for you to look at it in the book itself if you have that open. But he just kind of reminds us of the structure of the tabernacle and how it was designed. You have the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was. And this was the place where God's glory would reside. This is the place between the cherubim where the two angels, the two cherubim would overshadow the mercy seat. That was where God's presence was uh, focused. And that's where once a year, the high priest would come and sprinkle the blood of atonement on that mercy seat. And then outward from there, you have the holy place where you have the table of the bread of presence, the altar of incense, the lampstand. And here daily, a priest would come in and they would do this on rotation. Priest would come in and daily they would make sure that the altar was burning with incense and that candles were burning on the lampstand. And once a week they would replace um, the bread of presence. Every, Every Sabbath cycle, they would replace that. And so that's kind of the right outside of the central place. It is still very near God. And then you have the outer courtyard, which was uh, full of activity and life. And people would come and bring their sacrificial animals. They would come there uh, to pray. It was a a kind of a a central place of meeting with God. If you were not a priest and you were going to come 
uh, to that outer courtyard. And he says there in Genesis, in the opening verses, really what we have is a tabernacle before the tabernacle. And what we want to look for is places in the Old Testament when God came near. When God's presence was there, even if we don't see a building, a structure. So there may not be a tent like the tabernacle. There, there may not be a temple building, but we have many, many times in scripture where God comes near, where he comes to dwell and be with his people. And he says it starts from the very beginning. In Genesis 1, 1 and 2, we have God creating the heavens and the earth. And the very next thing you read is the spirit of God hovering over the waters. And so God's presence already is there with his and in his creation. And the idea here of the spirit hovering over the waters, the, the word that's used there is the idea of brooding, almost like a, a mother hen or a mother bird taking, uh, uh, drawing her wings over her young for protection and for provision. That's the image of the spirit of God over his creation. He's there, he's present, he's nurturing, caring for his creation from the very beginning. So you have the spirit hovering over the waters. And he says, apparently heaven was never meant to contain the triune God. The movement between heaven and earth was always intended to be fluid. In other words, all throughout the Bible story, starting from the very beginning, you have God on earth. A lot of times we think of God in the heavens, right? We think of God up there. But from the very beginning, it was God here. It was God imminent, near, with his people. And he says what follows then is the story of that movement between heaven and earth. God coming from his abode into our own and we being brought into his. Here you will find priests. In an intensely, uh, he says it is an intensely personal story of mutual engagement, relationship between man and God. And then we read in Genesis 2 about the Garden of Eden. He says, now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man that he had formed. One of the things that you'll notice about Genesis 2 in kind of in a unique sense that's different from Genesis 1 is that Genesis 2 is much more personal hands-on, present, if you will, than Genesis 1. So they're both descriptions of God's work and creation. Genesis 1 is more, it's more structured. Day 1, God did this. Day 2, God did this. Day 3, God did this. But then you get to Genesis chapter 2, and you have God here. And you see God picking up dirt and shaping a man. You have God breathing into man's nostrils the breath of life and man becoming a living being. Uh, you have God here in the image of a, a, a farmer, a vineyard keeper, planting a vineyard, working with the ground that he had made. It's a very personal, uh, near intimate uh, image, isn't it? God being there with his creation. 
And so he meticulously plants this garden in Eden. He prepares a place and then he puts his image bearers in it. Verse nine says, the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And a river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there, it was separated into four headwaters. And then in verse 15, he says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. So God plants this garden with care, with attention, with detail. He makes it a place of provision and food and water, a beautiful place. And he takes his climax, the height of his creation, his image bearers, and he puts him in it to care for it. And he says, when we read Genesis 2 with this idea of God's presence, we see some similarities between the tabernacle and the Garden of Eden itself. We see tabernacle or temple-like imagery in the Garden of Eden. And so in Eden, we have a garden of God. It's a place where heaven and earth met. This was the holy mountain of God, if you will. This is God's house. Eden was the first tabernacle. And humanity's home was in the presence of God in his most holy place. And wherever God is, there is the tent of his dwelling. And so the important thing about tabernacle is not the fabric, right? It's not the poles. It's not even the location where it is because they moved it from place to place, didn't they? The significant thing about the tabernacle is this is where God is. This is where God has come to meet with his people. And he says Eden is like that. And so he compares the Garden of Eden to the tabernacle structure. We have the garden where God is, where he's present there with his people. That's the center and in the middle of it is the tree of life where God sustains the life of his people. And then you have, uh, with outside of that, you have the land of Eden. Sometimes we associate those two, garden equals Eden. But really what it is, is it's a garden in, inside Eden. Eden is a, a place, a region, a, a territory of land. And within that, God placed a special garden for Adam and Eve and for him to dwell with them. And then outside of Eden, you have the rest of the world, if you will. And so this place, this is where God dwelled with his people. And so you have a protected sacred area within Eden. It's sacred in the sense that it's marked off, isn't it? Sacred means or holy means the idea of set apart. It's set apart, designated for something special. So you have Eden within the world, but then even within Eden, you have this sacred place, this garden where God is with his people. Uh, you have uh, a holy place, Eden, that was near him, but then you have the most holy place, the garden, which was even nearer, kind of like the holy place and the most holy place in the tabernacle that which is near, and then, then that which is even nearer to God in the most holy place. And within Eden, you have uh, these uh, rivers that flow out, which 
signify God as the source of life, sustaining life. And it's interesting because you come back again, you come full circle to the end in the book of Revelation and you see some of the same imagery. Some of this same imagery of a tree of life, of rivers of water, of God's presence, that's the picture of eternity, is how God designed it from the beginning in the Garden of Eden. And so you have humanity there with a mission in the garden to work and to take care of it, just like very, with very similar language in Numbers, it says that the priests were supposed to do in the tabernacle. They were supposed to work it, protect it, care for it. Here's what human beings are supposed to do in the garden. And so the tree of life was also there. It was a symbol of the life that we have in God's presence. And the tree of life is represented in the tabernacle by the flowering lampstand, which has buds and blossoms on it. This candelabra lampstand. And then you see that same symbolism again in the book of Revelation. And so this is the place of light and life. And so from the beginning, our everyday existence was intended to be lived out in the temple precincts. Thinking of the Garden of Eden as the dwelling place of God. And think about that with if sin had not happened. If sin had not happened, if the fall had not happened, then this presence of God with his people, we with him, uninterrupted, un, without any obstacles, without any walls or barriers or divisions, that is how our relationship with God was first created to be. Of course, we have the fall and we have sin, but what is God doing through redemption, through Christ? He is renewing that, isn't he? And in the end, in the new heavens and the new earth, we're going to have a restoration of this ideal of us with God and he with us in perfect harmony. And so our heritage is a royal priesthood. And since God's purposes for us have never changed, you are a royal priest. You have a rich job description and his spirit is with you. God's fellowship and hospitality have begun in earnest. And so God desires that we be close. God made us to be in relationship with him and be close to him. Leviticus 26, 12 says, I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. Search for those words throughout scripture. If you have a concordance, like a strong concordance, or you can do this online now with a, a lot of uh, internet Bible websites, you can search for words like this. I will be your God. You will be my people. You will find that all the way throughout the Bible. Starting back in the Pentateuch of the earliest books of the Bible, like Exodus, and then running all the way through the prophets, Isaiah, Hosea, and then even on into the New Testament with the letters of Paul and into Revelation. It is a theme that runs all the way through Scripture that, that we would be with God. He would be our God, we would be His people, and we would be near one another in relationship with one another. And so communion, closeness, 
heaven comes to earth and our home is at the intersection of the two. This has been God's plan for humanity and he has done it. And so this is kind of sets the theme for the rest of the book and is going to walk us through scripture and show us how this theme is found in different ways, different pictures, different symbols, all the way through scripture, but not just so that we can have that knowledge, but so that it will reorient the way that we think about our relationship with God. We are designed to be in close relationship with God, to be near him as the priests were near God in the Old Testament. And also with the idea that then we as God's priests, like the priests of the Old Testament, would then bring God to the world. So we are in a unique relationship with God, nearness to him, but then also we have this divine privilege of bearing God to the world and being an intermediary between us or between God and a fallen world. And so God is restoring a broken creation and we as redeemed priests are the first fruits of that restoration that God is doing in making a new heavens, new earth, a new creation. And so I hope my prayer is that this study will be helpful to you and not just to give you more knowledge, understanding of scripture and how this theme runs through it, but so that it really might uh, help you in your walk with God, in your relationship with him and give you a different way of thinking about it that maybe you haven't before. Let's bow in prayer together. Our Father in heaven, we just thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that we have uh, to do this study together. And my prayer is that it will be profitable to us, helping us think through um, just this important theme, that you are our God, our Father, and that you have made us to be in close relationship with you. Lord, help us to grow closer to you, to grow near you, to draw near to you, Father. As your word says, let us draw near to you and you will draw near to us. So Father, may this study be profitable and may your name be exalted in it. And we pray this in the name of Christ, amen.